Hello, welcome back to episode 10 of Finding Your Fearless, a Melbourne Vixens podcast hosted by Joe Weston. Finding Your Fearless is presented by our proud partner, Deakin University. Like me, you can learn from the best. I'm currently studying a Master of Communications and I'm absolutely loving it. At Deakin University, every single course is backed by industry experts. This means you can be confident you'll get the job you want with a degree employers want. Deakin University, progressive real-world learning. Today, I'm joined by fellow Australian Shepherd owner and swimmer, Mac Horden. Mac has just returned from his second Olympics, and we chatted about the pressure to perform and being both a team and individual athlete. After winning a gold medal at the Rio Olympics, Mac has had an interesting journey to the Tokyo Games. He is very reflective on his time in the pool, but also what he loves away from swimming. Enjoy this chat with Mac. Mac, thank you so much for joining Finding Your Fearless. How are you going today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Uh, where in the world do I find you right now? I am in Howard Springs uh, Quarantine Facility, or they call it the National Resilience Centre. Um, so I am 11 or 12 days in. I, I'm out in about three days, uh, but it's all kind of blurring together at the moment. It does. I guess the light is definitely at the end of the tunnel. Have you done quarantine before? No, this is my first time. Ooh. I've done like... Yeah, I've done many stints after like tests to make mm -hmm. sure I was like isolated until I was negative. Um, but this is my first proper quarantine and it is proper, well and truly proper. Um, yeah, we all have little balconies we can go and sit on, which is nice and chat to each other. Um, but the police are doing a lot of patrols. They probably let us get a little bit too rogue in the first couple of days because um, <laughs> the, the whole team's like in one second we don't meet with the public and like in tokyo we were getting tested every day we had no crossover with literally anyone so we we're all pretty comfortable that we're we were safe and so uh, yeah everyone got a bit rogue and the police had to crack down some mornings so now we're very well behaved i'm sure that's understandable the you know the time that you guys had over in Tokyo was pretty limited I guess in what you could probably experience as the team part you know which is sort of one of the best parts I guess of going to the Olympics so it's I feel like it's kind of nice to be able to have a little bit of time to celebrate before you all disperse back to various yeah. parts of Australia. Yeah we've been talking about how we as much as we're looking forward to getting home obviously we're looking forward to getting home but it's going to be weird waking up not you know, going and sitting on your balcony, having breakfast, chatting to everyone every morning. Mm. Um, and so we're going to miss bits of that. And like dinner times are the best because the sunset's always lovely up here in Darwin. It's like 33 degrees every day and it's just a nice night to sit out and chat with everyone. Um, so yeah, it hasn't been too bad. No, I always find that's the hardest part when you come back from a tour because we normally share, even when I've come back from both of the hub experiences I've recently had, is that you're surrounded by people constantly and it's sort of yeah. like you've always got someone to talk to if you want to go and get a coffee there's always someone there and you really have that social element and then that finishes up and you're back home and you're like okay just by yeah. myself <laughs> it is a rude shock but then it's also like even if you are uh back at home living with a group of people or a couple of people when you're on team you have that like you, if you're sick of someone you go and talk to like you should just surround the group a lot mm. um and keep it fresh and so it's always, there is a bit of that, I guess, shock or um, ah, it just feels odd coming home. What was your um, longest hut 
It was like 100 days or something, wasn't it? Yeah, last year in uh, Brisbane, we spent, it was over 100, I don't know off the top of my head, it was nearly three, it was over three months. I did spend a, tacked on a couple extra weeks at the end just because Melbourne was still under quite tough COVID restrictions and I didn't really have any reason to return home other than to see uh, my dog Billy, but she, you know she's pretty much forgotten about me at this rate. I'm just another, just another person to her. My mum has definitely commandeered full ownership, even though she says she she doesn't want it. I I have her with me here in the isolation I'm currently doing. She was like, oh, I'm just you know going for a walk this weekend. No dog though. I was like, you can have a dog if you want one. <laughs> This is my biggest fear that my dog Herbie forgets me. No. I was talking to um, your gym coach, John Sconey, and he was saying the first 30 days are the hardest in the hub mm. and then it gets easy because you find a routine. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about this and it's like, well, it's very different circumstances, obviously, but you're like competing every week. Um, so you, you've always got something to like work towards. Whereas we've been away for three months uh, to get ready for one week or one day, depending on how many events you had. Um, so yeah, it's just in comparing the experiences. That must be really hard because I found being able to play twice a week actually helped the time go by a little bit quicker as well. You don't really have time to, like, we'd play, recover, train, and then well, yeah, play, you recover, just train, focus just... on the process. Mm. But and the, yeah. the process, I guess, yeah. So you've been away for three yeah. months. Um, I guess maybe we can chat about what that had looked like because I knew you were sort of COVID dodging as I have been doing this year <laughs> as the Australian swim team kind of moved from, you know, I know trials were in Adelaide and then you moved up to Queensland. So I guess what does it look like the last three months, maybe some of the highlights and then obviously your experiences in Tokyo? Um, so initially... Trials are in Adelaide and South Australia happens to have some of the strictest COVID restrictions. Yes. Um, and so as soon as there were some cases in Melbourne, we're probably about three weeks out from trials in Adelaide and we're like, okay, we need to get out of here. So I remember one section, it would have been 15 or 16 days before trials was about to begin and um, before we all got in, our coach was like, we're monitoring the situation, you know, we might need to leave you know, towards the weekend or whatever, like a couple of days. And then we got out of the pool and he's just like, we're going now. I just had a call. We have to go today. Right now. Speedos and all, straight to the airport. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm sure, like, you know, when you're about to go away for a long time or a period of time or for a competition, there's like a lot of things you want to try and tick off before you head yep, away, yep, like yep. a lot of life admin and whatever. Um, so that was a bit of a rude shock. So I think we had about six hours notice. Um, and then, yeah, we're at the airport in the afternoon, spent two weeks in Queensland training so that we could then get into South Australia because they didn't have any COVID at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, then did trials in South Australia, made the team, um, and then I wasn't able to go home because Victoria still had COVID and yeah. no one wanted to risk team members getting stuck at home and mm -hmm. not being able to get into the camp. So I, I figured out that uh, Canberra was the only place that I could get into and get out of and Ella and my parents could get in and get out of. Oh. So they met me. Yeah, so they met me in Canberra for two days after trials. Oh, that's um, cute. So we got to see each other. Yeah, it was cute. Um, and then 
I went up to the join the rest of the team in camp. I uh, saw Townsville for our training camp, but then there was an outbreak in Townsville, <laughs> um, and so this time we had two hours notice, uh, and then we had to road trip up to camp, and that's where we formed our like, proper bubble mm-hmm. um, where no one could come in or out, uh, and then it was full steam ahead to Tokyo. So yeah, a fair bit of COVID dodging in there. That's uh, you, you'd be very agile. Uh, you'd be good on a netball court, I think, with all of that ducking and weaving across the. I don't think my knees would handle it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Knees and ankles are an important thing, but don't worry. I um, I really lack in the chin up game, which I'm always envious when I see the swimmers in the VIS just being able to smash out however many plus weight. I was like, I can't even do my own body weight. Yeah, well, it's all we do. It's really all we it's do. Just, it's just you know, pulling with our arms. Just pulling with yeah. your arms. So I guess your experience in these Olympics was a bit different to the one in Rio when you won that 400-meter um, race and the gold medal, which I think captured all of Australia's attention. And this Olympics, from a, a couch potatoes point of view, I had, I had the TV on nonstop, and I think you probably – maybe realize this and I'm sure some of your fellow teammates have just how amazing I guess this Olympics was in comparison to maybe even uh, not maybe rare but probably London just because of the time difference was so convenient for all of us to watch so many people were in lockdown so it's easy to get eyeballs on the TV and just how I guess amazing it was to see all of you competing there living out your dreams and after going through what was in a really extended preparation so thank you for that um, <laughs> it really was incredible it's actually hard to articulate how um, amazing it was just to see you all over there and especially you know people we see around the gym for us that train in Victoria with you or even other athletes you, you yeah. know in passing just seeing them over there it was incredible so how was it for you um, I think lockdown is probably the best thing that has happened for the Olympics and I'm sure channel seven were licking their lips at the viewership <laughs> Um, yeah for me it was pretty different to Rio um I didn't swim very well uh to be honest I only had a position in a in a relay and um that position was only as a heap swimmer and so basically what happens in the relay is obviously there's only four people in the final but they take maybe six or seven um and then the slower swimmers will get a chance in the heat to race off and try and beat people uh, and get into the finals, try and secure your position. Um, so that's what I had to do, and I just wasn't good enough, so I didn't make it through to the final, but managed to get the team through, which is all that really mattered. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I would have liked to have been in the final. Um, but, yeah, so that was a bit disappointing. But um, I think, you know, comparing the Rio experience and the Tokyo experience, in Rio I was very, like, almost selfish, self-centered, like I'm focusing only on my process and doing everything I need to do to make sure I'm ready for this 400. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I missed the selection for the 400 at trials, I had the 200 the next day, which is the event I had to qualify for in the relay. And I was like pretty destroyed because that was, you know, five years I've been training to make it in that event. Yeah, um, and so I was like, I went home to where I was staying. I was like, oh, what do I do now? You, know, you have a plan for five years and it just doesn't work. So how do I quickly refocus and pull it together? Um, and I realized that now it was like, okay, my job is be the best teammate I can be for like the next two, three months. I make this relay, make sure everyone gets up, make sure everyone's in the best form 
that they can be for that really uh, and make sure everyone's focused and knows what they need to do. Um, so I guess that's kind of how I refocused for the games, but it was, it offered a very different experience to Rio, which was quite refreshing. It was relaxed. It was fun. Um, and I think I've learned, you know, a lot from that experience and I'd moving forward, probably want to blend them a bit, um, combo into the next campaign. Yeah. I think that's it's probably something that you're used to, like, I mean, Something's such an individual sport until it's not when you're in a relay. Mm. Uh, um, but for Neville, it's team, team, team all the time, I would imagine. It is, and I probably resonate with that a bit. When I was a younger athlete, I was very focused. You know, I wanted to be wanted to be the best. I was always very good at things when I was younger. And when I probably had some initial roadblocks, like not being able to be out on court, like a lot of the times you're in a team, but there's only a certain proportion of those athletes that are out on court at one time. And if you're not a part of that regularly, you learn to be able to play a different role. And that is just being the best teammate you can be. We talk a lot about we before me. And I think that took me a little bit of time to learn and adjust to because it's just probably different to what I was used to when I was younger. Some people I think are more naturally drawn to that end of the spectrum versus being um you know inwardly focused and i do think being able to have a combination of both is what makes athletes the best best athletes they can be and the best people they can be and i know probably tokyo wasn't um was a bit disappointing for you but a few of us you know watched one of those interviews you did after the heat swim and i think all of us just admired how honest you were and you could see how how much it meant to you um, and just the emotion involved in it. And I think that really shows how mature you are and how amazing you are as a team member but also as, you know, an individual swimmer too. Thank you. Um, I don't know what to say now. No, <laughs> <laughs> no it's just, um, Thanks. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, I think that's one of the hardest parts about sport when you, you know, you have, you get interviews from athletes, you know, fresh out of the pool or fresh off the track or after defeat or after win and you get that just raw emotion. And I think but that, that's uh, also the best thing about mm. sport is that like it doesn't always go well, I think. Um, it'd be boring if it, <laughs> yeah, if you always, if you always won or your team always won and it always went to plan, it would be boring. So, um, yeah, it, it's made me appreciate, I guess, the whole experience as well. Like mm. the, the Olympic experience, just being able to walk around the village with all these amazing athletes and being a part of the Australia team as well. Um, so many great moments sitting down the base of like the the team building where they had TV set up with the live feed from Australia and mm. lawn chairs and every time there was a medal chance it would just instantly pack out and everyone would go crazy. Um, so yeah, so it's just so special. It really is. Well, we'll talk um, a bit of things away from the pool for a second because I did promise us a decent chunk of time dedicated to both of our favourite subjects, which is Australian shepherds. <laughs> Um, I have my dog, Billy. I don't want to say you copied me, but I do think perhaps Billy was some inspiration for your choice behind getting an Aussie. Or, I mean, why did you decide to get Herbie? is so cute, by the way. If anyone's listening and hasn't seen photos of Herbie, Mac and Ella's dog, he's incredibly cute. Uh, how did you come to have him in your possession or part of your family? Well, 
I actually didn't know you had an Australian Shepherd at first, to be honest. Okay, just say that. Matt. It's all right, Mac. You don't have B- to. Billy, no, B- no, no. Billy is a very um, border collie esque Australian Shepherd. Like the colouring, I mm. think, is not classic Australian Shepherd. Um, but I was thrilled to find out that Billy is an Australian Shepherd. Um, <laughs> but I. We got Herbie because I've, I've always wanted a dog. I always had family dogs. I love dogs. And I've been asking, you know, pushing out, like, can we get a dog? Can we get a dog? We live in an apartment. So it was always going to be difficult. Um, and I was just, like, reading facts about dog breeds online. And I was like, Australian Shepherd adapts well to apartment living. And I was just like, yes. And I was like, okay. And then emailed a breed is like, within five minutes. Um, and, yeah, found one found Herbie and it was love at first sight. <laughs> he is he is incredibly cute. How um how old is he, number one? And number two, how many items in your house do you think he's destroyed so far? Uh, he's about to turn one in about two weeks. Oh you'll be home in um, time. So yeah, I'll be I'll, I'll, be, I'll be home for his birthday. Yeah, huge party. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's eaten everything. He's eaten AirPods <laughs> Uh, two of his beds filled with feathers, our couch, TV remotes, uh, makeup <laughs> out of a drawer in a bathroom somehow, the oh contraceptive pill. Um, oh, okay, that's good to know he's being safe. <laughs> he, I, I bought mum a Mother's Day book, like a book for Mother's Day, and it was wrapped up. And I came home one day and there was just paper everywhere <laughs> to figure out what it was. No. And then I realised he'd unwrapped the book and absolutely shredded it. Um, and if you just leave like mail around, like he'll actually eat your homework or your mail. He just loves tread paper. He won't swallow it. He'll just tread it. Well, that'd be good if you ever ha- have any uh, confidential documents that you don't want yeah. to see. Just give them to Herbie. He'll take care of it. Yeah, like old credit card statements. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> Play with these for a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think dog ownership, I've really loved it as a athlete I think just in general but we do have a lot of spare time I think during the day different to I guess potential other people of our age group that would work more traditional yeah. jobs in inverted commas and yeah. I found a dog is just such a great outlet and also just companionship like walking Billy yeah. is probably my favorite thing to do <laughs> how old's Billy now she is three and a bit I decided to have her join my life after the Commonwealth Games. she was meant to be a uh a congratulations, but we actually came second, so she's more of a commiserations type puppy. But that's no, okay. <laughs> what's wrong with second? There's nothing wrong with second. Oh, Mac, congratulations! I think, oh, this is an individual v team sport thing. So in in a netball or in a team sport, like you lose a game but you win a silver medal. But like in a swimming race, if you come second, you've come yeah. second. Like there's a very different mentality. Like almost a bronze medal, which you win the game to win bronze, is almost sometimes better. Than losing. I was reflecting silver. on this during the oh. Olympics. I was like, silver is probably not the one you want to get. No, it's, 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 it really is. You want to be in the gold medal match because you want a chance of having the gold. But it is, uh, it's an interesting, I think, dichotomy between the two because, yeah, you do end up losing the game to receive the silver yeah. medal. But I won Billy. Um, so, yes. That is the <laughs> that's, that's all that matters. That's, that's all, all that, that matters. matters. So I guess you're going to have some... Think, uh, do you think 
So on the netball games mm. in the Olympics, I was thinking about netball at 2032. Yes. You still be going then, you reckon? Look, I've had a few questions fielded my way about that. <laughs> I don't think, speaking of dodgy knees, I don't have dodgy knees, but I definitely don't think they can sustain another 11 years of impact loading on them, unfortunately. Um, neither that or my ankles. I would have to have uh, some sort of modern uh, medicine miracle, I think. To yeah. But, you know, there's lots of different roles I could play. You know, there could be a coaching position. Com- or commentating. Commentator, team mascot. Um, yeah. Also happy to perform at either opening or closing ceremonies if they're looking. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm open I'm open to anything. <laughs> torch relay. You could do the torch relay torch as well. Relay, that would be yes. awesome. That would be very cool. I know. I'm hoping netball gets over the line. I'm not sure... I've spoken to a few other Olympic athletes about it, and they all think it's a very positive thing. Although it not having a um, direct male counterpart might hold it back in terms of its. Come on, I know. Really? It's gonna. Yeah, I know. I was thinking the other day because, like, obviously the NRL likes to have their hands in everything, and they're like, "Yeah, I think rugby league should be in Olympic sport." And I was like, "If they let rugby league athletes into the village, I cannot believe what we have come to. They cannot be trusted." (laughs) (laughs) They're still letting rugby league in. They have to let netball. Oh, that that might be. That might have to be the in. You might have to. Except that rugby league player will be there, so the netball can get. Look, that is a sacrifice I'd be willing to make um, <laughs> for some of our netballers to be Olympic athletes, because I know it is such a. Um, people always ask me if um, I'm like disappointed I don't get to go to the Olympics. But when I was younger, I wanted to be a tennis player. Like I, I watched the Olympics, but I it was never something I I aspired to do. So I think that's probably why I chose a sport, which probably. Uh, isn't yeah. eligible, so it's never something I've been like. Damn, like I'm not not in the running for it, but I know it is. Yeah, tennis, tennis, and basketball I find interesting at the Olympics because I mean it's not like the pinnacle event. I don't think no. it's like a fun one. It feels like a fun one that they can take off on the way. <laughs> you know, they still obviously cherish the Olympics and love it, but it's. You know, I feel like a lot of their focus is around the World Tour or the NBA, etc. So it's it's always really interesting seeing how they behave and interact in the Olympic Village. Everyone praises them. Everyone loves them. Yeah, they would. It's like this isn't this isn't even their like biggest event they've ever been. <laughs> no, they just um, <laughs> they they are pretty famous though. So that's probably part of yeah. the aspect of it. But I guess away from Olympics and swimming. Um, we got stuck. We know, somehow we, ended up there again. We really tried. I really tried to pull you away. Um, you um, live with your beautiful partner, Ella. Um, what does she do yeah. with herself? And I guess she isn't involved in the sporting world. And I don't know if you know this, but I'm also recently dating um, a medical professional. Uh, so I can relate having someone that's not really involved in the athletic realm and how beneficial it is. It's an absolute blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, we wouldn't survive if the athletic. Well, yeah, no, it just makes it harder. I think it's just so refreshing um, to be with someone who lives in a completely different world and can offer so much perspective. She's mm-hmm. a neonatal care nurse. Wow, um, which is amazing, incredible, and there's just so many uh, just really sad stories. 
um, and she deals with it every day. So, you know, if I don't have a good I come home and complain about it. <laughs> Hit me with, well, this is what happened at work today and, you know, put back in my place. It's all put in perspective. I'm just swinging mm. laps up and down a pool and um, saving lives. So, yeah, it's it's really good to have. And I think it's amazing to have someone, you know, who um, has a career in a different field but is also incredibly supportive of what you're trying to achieve in your athletic career um, I guess what your plans are post-sport, have you had a thought? I know you're not uh, looking down the barrel of that anytime soon, but, you know, I think, you know, in uh, netball we're always really big advocates for having a career outside of the sport and I think swimming and other, um, I don't want to say non-professional sports, but probably um, elite level athletes in Australia that, you know, don't get paid huge amounts of money um, to pursue their sporting career, always have to have sort of something on the go. Uh, if things aren't yeah. working out to plan. So I guess what do you do to fill up your free time other than taking her before extended walks <laughs> at the beach? Yeah. Um, I have been doing a degree in business um, and I, I just did that out of school because I didn't actually know what I wanted to do. Um, I thought I had a few ideas when I was at school. I thought maybe architecture uh, and a few other things, um, but I was like, you know, I'm pretty serious in swimming right now. I'm not going to have that much time. Everyone raved about how much of a workload architecture is. So I was like, I'll just do a business degree. It can apply to everything. I can just tick it off slowly over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's now seven years later and I'm still going. <laughs> There's no rush, no rush at all. Uh, no, no, but I'm, I, I should finish mid next year, which is That's very exciting. exciting. Um, but now I think I actually do want to go to architecture. Oh, <laughs> that'd be cool. Uh, yeah, but I obviously still want to swim as well through to um, mm. 2024. Um, and then following all of that, I look forward to just supporting Ella, really, to be honest, because supported me for many years and I feel like it's not there's one way and not like we have to balance the books just I feel like I it's, it's my time to you know get behind her and mm. um, help her achieve what she wants to achieve. Well that sounds like it's going to be an incredible next couple of years especially I guess <laughs> um, away from the pool but in the build-up to Paris which will come around very quickly given the extended build-up to the last olympics we are i know i'm really trying to dance around the top i know but we're there again um, we're swimming um we're there again we're there again um there is i do find probably the topic of discussion how you were um have been a very strong advocate for clean sport quite fascinating there's obviously I don't think people understand how much of a difference there is between like team and individual sports. So for us, you know, we don't have to do um, individual whereabouts like uh, swimmers potentially would, you know, our team. Really? um, I didn't know this. Well, they get told where our team, we only ever get tested when we're at training or at games. So they tell, um, yeah, I know we're very lucky. That's the dream. That's uh, it's the ex- it's the explicit reason why I chose to pursue netball. Don't worry, Mac, because I could never yeah. be responsible <laughs> enough to fill that in regularly. Um, no, it is a blessing, and I think it's just due to the difference. But um, you know, I 
the testers in Australia do a very good job in terms of making sure that none of our athletes are doping, et cetera. And there's obviously discrepancies between other national uh, testers, and I think you probably find that at the world stage. If you do feel comfortable talking about it, I guess um, I think you've been really courageous in standing up for what you believe, but obviously there was quite a bit of backlash from others that thought you potentially acted um, – Oh, not acted out of turn, but probably maybe not the time and place for your actions. Yes. Um, well, I think firstly you you said how you know good the the, the testing is in Australia, and I think um, you know if we expect quality uh, of every other nation, then we have to set ourselves and hold ourselves to a higher standard, um, which is what we do. Um, and I forgot what you asked, acting out, uh, time and place. Um, Maybe about how... Sometimes um, I agree, sometimes I don't. Yeah, yeah. probably yeah. about how, I mean, um, I feel like pe- you probably... Um, you know, standing down from the podium is something that felt right for you, but how maybe you... Um, thought it was the right thing to do and maybe talk me through your process, how you probably knew there was going to be a lot of people that would criticise that action, but, you know, you decided to do what you thought was the right thing. Um, and I, know, wished, I wish I'd thought that far ahead. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but I just did it. Um, no, but I just thought, um, you know, it, it's a bit symbolic. Like, mm. I just didn't want to share it. Yeah. With, um, yeah, and I think you know people say it's not the t- right time and place for politics and mm. protesting, but sport is full of politics. And it like, is. It, it so is. People behind the scenes. If you don't want, yeah, if you don't want politics, sport, then get rid of politics, sport, and then nothing like this will happen. So mm. it's, I mean, it's not really an argument to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I always find that really interesting when they say you know sport and politics don't mix etc and I feel like we're I'm probably shielded um from it in obviously there's some things that go on behind in netball and other sports but I know a lot of the Olympic sports and the governing bodies um that look Mm. after world events they do have a lot of influence um because even as I was talking to um Annabelle Smith about how she missed out the diving qualification for the event she medaled in in Rio because they couldn't get to the qualification in Japan and because they like it was deemed unsafe for them to go but it still went ahead even though not everyone could get there I was like geez that just sounds irrational to me like you can't have a qualification event if not everyone can get there yeah it's um there's some odd things that go on I think pretty much every major swimming meet meet for the last you know 10 years has been held in one of three countries. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, that, probably, yeah. that probably says enough. Well, um, I won't badger you too much about um, the politics of swimming, but I do think that uh, you've got an amazing story to tell. And I guess even though this year potentially didn't go to plan, there's lots of learning like you are talking about being a team member. I guess looking forward um, to the next Olympic cycle, Maybe you can chat about, I guess, looking at that blended idea of being both an individual and team member. 
And also, I guess the psychology behind having just to perform on the day, you know, the exact time and day um, that your event's on. Um, so I think that blended team member thing is obviously something I'm going to going to carry forward. Um, I think you know Tokyo taught me that I can be, yeah, I can pay attention to the people around me and mm. um, give them more energy than I'd previously allowed. Um, and that that will actually help me. Um, and in terms of like performing on the time and day, um, I mean, I'm so used to it because that's what swimming is. You know exactly when, when you're racing. But for me to race well or feel confident, it all comes down to just executing the process really well. So even if that's from three years out or whatever, just making sure I'm ticking all the boxes in training. Mm. Etc., and then that kind of builds momentum and snowballs. Um, and then as you get closer and closer to the competition, it's still, you know, just a process. You're still warming up the same way you would at a, a small local meet where you practice. Um, you know, you still put your racing suit on the same way, you're still stretching the same way. Mm. Um, so it, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's a thing you practice over and over and over from you know, the age of 10. Um, or whenever you start competitively swimming. So by the time you do get to that world stage and it's, you know, the biggest event of your life apparently, um, it's a process that you've been through hundreds and thousands of times um, and as the chaos goes on around you, you find comfort in that. Mm. The process, yeah. It's, pro- it's probably very similar for you, right? I've seen – I haven't seen a netball team warm up, but I've – seen uh, a few AFL teams warm up and they have pretty processes and the way their energy builds amongst everyone as well, like mm. they level it up uh, at intervals almost till their peak energy ready to go out. Um, and so I'm sure it's probably similar for you guys as well. Yeah, we do have a pretty, uh, uh, not a rigid routine, but it is pretty set in what we do. And I think that helps give people comfort and confidence that they're going to be ready when it gets uh, to go time when the whistle blows and just also making sure I'm definitely one for making sure I've done all of like my warm-up exercises and ticking all those boxes and I don't have to worry about any of that I can just focus on the game that's about to take place it just like sets you up with a solid base Mm. and then there are things you don't have to think about and then things I it's Swimming, you don't have to think about much. There's not many variables that are going to come at you, but I imagine... There could be some waves or something, Mac. I don't know. No, there's nothing. Literally nothing. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's interesting in netball because you'd you'd try and set yourself up the same way so that when you do have to make decisions out on the court or whatever, there's nothing slowing you down. It's Mm. those things that you have to worry about. Yeah, it's definitely... Um, a high level focus and I know you have a lot of attention to detail in your sport too so there's probably some parallels and also quite a few differences the last question I have for you um, I don't know obviously this is a Vixens podcast and our uh, base of supporters are mainly female we do have a bit of a male uh, proportion you not saying that females don't like cars however um, you are a big defender fan um, I know you've got uh, a more modern one and then you have um, a vintage one that is a convertible that you've restored. Are they your two dream cars or if you could have a third one in the fleet, uh, the Horton fleet oh. of cars, what would it be? 
This is hard. It's this hard is question. very hard. I know. I'm really um, finishing off with a tough one. <laughs> so my old one, I would say my old ones are from 1955, and it's a like a classic green two-door Land Rover. Um, and then the new one's like a 110 Defender for all you car people listening. And my they are my dream car, to be honest. But if I was going to have a third car, I think I need something more practical. So uh, yes. Ella would um, <laughs> be feel more content and safe in the car. So probably not the safe vehicles. Mm. Um, so yeah, I probably just need like a family wagon or something, you know. Yeah, that, that does. <laughs> that's probably that's maybe ma- maybe not the dream car, but the. I need to be a practical man as well. You've already got your dream cars, I guess. So you're set. I have, I have seen Mac just cruising down the streets of South Melbourne away from the gym in the old Land Rover with, you know, no top and just Herbie just clipped on in the back. It is a sight to behold. It's beautiful. It's nothing better than bouncing around the uh, speed bumps in South Melbourne, just enjoying that. Crash, just getting there. stuck in the tram tracks and not being able to move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try to pa- parallel park well, um, on Clarendon Street. No worries. Yeah. Well, it's easy with no roof. You just turn around and you can see everything. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me on Finding Your Feelers and sharing a bit, I guess, about your sporting journey so far and your dog ownership journey. Um, I guess enjoy Thank you for the- having me. No, enjoy the rest. Probably, probably sorry. You go. <laughs> Too much um Swimming content, not enough dog content, I think. I we, know. We, pre- we pre-discussed, we said three minutes of swimming and 20 minutes of dog, and I think it ended up the other way around, unfortunately. I don't know if our um, trials and tribulations of, you know, recall trading would be the best listening. Maybe that's something we can talk about <laughs> in the gym at some time in the future. <laughs> what are Herbie's favourite treats, you know? What does he have for breakfast? Like, don't know if that... We still have to introduce them. They haven't met yet. That's true. It'll happen on Instagram. Um for those listening at home, we will record the fated meeting and who knows, maybe they'll become best friends, maybe they'll become frenemies. I think they'll be best friends. Herbie is best friends with literally every dog he makes. <laughs> um, well, hopefully the rest of quarantine goes well and I'll see you around the gym sometime soon. Look forward to it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 10 of Finding Your Fearless, a Melbourne Vixens podcast hosted by Joe Weston. Finding Your Fearless is presented by Deakin University. Just like the Vixens, Deakin University is fearless in its approach to learning, which is why every single course is backed by industry experts. This means you can be confident you'll get the job you want with a degree employers want. Deakin University, progressive real-world learning.